it's a, what are you risking if you're just risking some discomfort then go for it if you think there's some issues with security then just be aware of them and prepare there are some things that i would still find too risky to do and i wouldn't be stupid because i think if it's too risky you just are so tense you can't enjoy it or enjoy that local experience so it's about what part of it is risky and why and just thinking about that if it's just about your discomfort and what's going to feel scary because it's something you haven't done before or no one's going to be there that you know just do it (laughs) (laughs) hello i'm alan hill in this podcast series of the nostalgic vagabond we're talking travel all kinds of travel with all kinds of interesting people from all around the world. In conversation, we'll share personal anecdotes, tales of adventure, and maybe misadventure too. Listen in for some unique cultural perspectives, tips from seasoned veterans, and an array of diverse experiences that have contributed to many life-changing journeys. Travel really is a privilege. We know that now. And if we can't do it right this very moment, let's talk about it then. Hey. Where are you right now? On this episode of the Nostalgic Vagabond podcast, I talk with Tash Samak. Tash is a creative strategy director and founder of Clayton's Cocktails in the UK. We met a few years ago at a screenwriters conference at Regents University in London. At that time, I was unaware of how many fascinating adventures she had been on over the years. In places like Australia, Asia, Europe, and the Americas, but stories came up from time to time during our chats about screenwriting over a few beers, as you do. In conversation, we talk about Tasha's initial independent trips away from home, and the moment she changed her mindsets on travel, from that of a British island hopper type to an uber-adventurous independent travel seeker. Tash shares some of her favourite experiences in Colombia, like that time she was hitching rides off the back of trucks sleeping in hammocks on the beaches of a peninsula where very few travellers are ever brave enough to go. We talk about her haphazard journeys through deserted towns in Bolivia, climbing up mudslides sometimes to find her accommodations. We discuss the positives and negatives of a tourist path known as the Gringo Trail, and Tasha's reminded of her bizarre experience at the Potosi Mine. We discuss the idea of planning and spontaneity when seeking off-the-beaten-track adventures. Tash talks about how she was able to make her trip unique, even when travelling from Nashville to New Orleans, a heavily travelled beat. It's all in the decisions you make along the way. I ask Tash about what is authentic travel to her. I probe about her ideas on risk versus reward when it comes to adventures. There's more too, but anyways, let's get to the conversation. Hello, Tash Samek. Thanks for coming on the Nostalgic Vagabond podcast. You're welcome, Alan. Good to have a chat with you again. I mean, we actually met a few years back at a writer's conference in London, didn't we? Yeah, I don't even know how many years ago that was. It's probably probably more than three years ago now. But we've had a few nice conversations since then, and I've discovered more and more that you've got quite a few interesting travel stories that have happened in your life. And I was curious to have a chat with you about some of those today. But um, before I get to that, just where are you right now? I am actually in Holmer Green 
in Buckinghamshire at my parents' house. I'm not breaking any rules. <laughs> they are my bubble. <laughs> lockdown. Yeah. I mean, it's actually lockdown, isn't it? Living with your parents. But there you go. As long as everyone's safe and well and as happy as possible in the circumstances, then that's the best case scenario right now, isn't it? Exactly. This podcast is about off the beaten track adventures and going to those kinds of levels of traveling. And when I think about it, I sort of think not all travelers desire to go off the beaten track. And maybe it's a more advanced level of traveling, or maybe it suits a particular type of personality of traveler. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that today, but very, very early doors. I'm just curious if you can remember your first independent trip abroad, like outside of the UK, and sort of how old were you? Where did you go? And what was the point of that trip? Do you mean independent on my own or... Yeah, so like an adult away from your family or any sort of organized school excursions or, you know, group tours. So you organize a trip yourself, whether you went alone or with another friend, um, whatever. But yeah, you kind of your first trip that you organized yourself and you created it yourself. Okay, well, my first trip away is highly embarrassing. And it's probably why I've been making up for it ever since. But (laughs) (laughs) I went to a place called Magaluf in Mallorca mm. when I was 16. I think I turned 17 maybe on the holiday with a group of friends. There were four of us. At that time, it was purely just to, you know, it was still about being independent and going away for the first time without my parents. So, you know, at that time when you are 16, 17, what do you want to do? You want to just go a bit wild because you're away from your parents. So I don't really beat myself up about it too much, but it was definitely just that kind of trip, just being able to go wild. It seems like you're describing one of those TV shows I have in the UK. Yeah. What's it called? Uh, where where the kids go away to some Mediterranean paradise and play up and the parents watch them on hidden camera. Yeah, I mean, when I, <laughs> I've seen that program once and when I watched it, I just thought, if my parents watching me in secret i just think it's just awful it's the whole point of getting away from them and being independent then you find out they're watching you i mean what yeah no it probably was like one of those programs i mean it's probably everything that you're imagining it to be well i cannot imagine you being like that but perhaps as a 16 17 year old tash yeah i guess maybe that's how you were well i just always felt this sense of being trapped in school or trapped in something that was just like right that's it doing having to do what my parents told me to do and so it was at that point, I didn't even cross my mind, really, that there were any other options. I don't know. It took me a while to get older and think, actually, there's a, you know, a lot more to see, a lot of different ways to travel. I didn't like think even probably about traveling at that point. I think I just thought about independence. Yeah, I suppose you did like a lot of British people do when they're young and they go to these Mediterranean hotspots and just party. And that's just a cultural thing isn't it yeah it was like a well-known place it was on my radar friends wanted to go yeah and um so we did (laughs) seems like you've come a long way since there as we'll get to in a moment i've traveled quite a bit and i've met lots of different travelers all over the place and i've found especially with solo travel and traveling in a sense far away you know outside your comfort zone let's say People often do that because 
Maybe they're stuck in a rut and they're trying to change the scenery to get out of that rut. Sometimes people are just a bit stagnant and they want to get new inspiration or new perspective. Uh, some people sometimes are trying to get over someone and sometimes people are looking to fall in love and find someone. Everyone's got these different individual reasons for traveling. Each trip that travelers can go on, there can be different reasons uh, for those particular trips. Now, when it comes to you, Tash, obviously you're not the kind of traveler you were as a 16, 17-year-old going to the Mediterranean islands and getting drunk. You do some pretty interesting off-the-beaten-track traveling now. So I'm curious if there was some moment or some event or an epiphany where you thought, I want to become more of a adventurous off-the-beaten-track traveler. I think it was always that sense of wanting to not feel, do my own thing and have the chance to not have, you know, sometimes it's nice to have structure and you you know, at home and your work and everything like that. But at some point you just want to break free from that. And I'm definitely that kind of person when you describe that list of different types of travelers. Mm. And I think the first time I went proper traveling is I actually went to move to Australia when I was 24 um, and that really wasn't a traveling trip. I went there and worked, but because of my age and the people I knew and the people I was living with, we used to go camping lots and travel lots. And it was in Western Australia and we'd always do lots of trips like that. And when I left there, I just was like, no, I want to, I need to see more of the world. So I did, um, travel along across the East coast and New Zealand on my own. Mm. And I think it was just actually just moving to Australia in the first place that just broadens as my meeting a different kind of people as the people I'd grown up with or even university that opened my mind to what was out there. And that was the starting point really. Do you think living somewhere is a much different experience than traveling somewhere, even if it's for quite a long time, let's say months, but getting a job, getting a place to live and immersing yourself in a culture, is that much more intense than just being like a passerby or a visitor. Yeah. And also it means you appreciate a place more. Like, cause I always always be very protective about Perth in Australia because a lot of people would go there on holiday and go, oh, it's really boring. And I'd be like, well, hold on. You don't know anything about it. And the whole of Western Australia is so vast. And when you live there, you can explore things like that. You can, you'd go for a weekend and drive 14 hours and still be in the same state, but you, you know, and a lot of it was just a straight road, but you'd see like emote news running across the road and kangaroos everywhere. And, and the little small towns you'd pass through on the way that people would laugh at. I just found that all really interesting. It's like, well, it's a different way of life. I'm interested in seeing how different people live. However, I just hated the fact that people were snobby about this. They want to see everyone and how they live and what they do. Mm. So anyway, so living there meant that I could explore a lot more of a, inverted commas, small space. Whereas if you go somewhere for a short amount of time, a lot of people, or you can fall into the trap of just seeing the main things and that's it. And making a very quick assumption on the place and moving on. And a lot of the time I've heard people say that, like, you know, my cousin says she hates LA or someone else says they hate another place. And I'm like, how can even people say like, oh, I hate Venice or just people just always say that these really strong words about places. And, and I just think you need to get under the skin of places or find the thing you like, or just there's something you will like in that place. I think I've veered off topic there, but the point is about Perth specifically living there, the city itself. I found it beautiful. It made change my life much more outdoorsy than indoorsy because there wasn't the same 
nightlife you have in London. So all that kind of stuff that I had in England, it was the opposite of that. And actually feel if I had gone to somewhere like Sydney or Melbourne, which were similar nightlife, might just continue doing that stuff rather than getting into windsurfing, camping, long trips away and that kind of thing. So I think living somewhere gives you the chance to properly explore a different lifestyle. Yeah, I think there's a lot to what you've said there. And my next point was going to be discussing the expression, what does it mean to travel like a local? But I suppose if you're living somewhere, you are experiencing life as a local in the essence of in its whole entirety, because you're there for a decent amount of time. And you have time, let's say if you're working, you have your weekends or you can take time off and actually use, like you said, Perth as your hub and explore all around the area in your own time as somebody who was living there, even born and raised, would have been doing for years as well. So I imagine that is the best way to travel like a local, but you have to invest a lot of time and actually live there. Yeah. And also that comes with challenges as well, which are, you know, all of this being, you know, living in England, being from Australia, but the people I met immediately, I lived in a house with two other people from England, someone from New Zealand and one Australian. Mm. so I mean it was far I mean, it wasn't living like I was hanging out with people from my own country and it was an accident I wasn't seeking to do that um it just happened and it got to a point actually after about six months and then all their friendship circle also were mainly you know England they knew each other from uni in England and stuff like that I did get to a point and I just thought no I'm enjoying myself but this is just this is not what I came here for and so I just actually said went up some one day said I need to move out because I want to live by the seaside. I don't want to live in this house here in this tap, in this kind of more hipstery part. I need to go and live over here. So actually they all decided to come and join me anyway. So we still live together. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the fact, it was just that kind of like itchy feet of mine. I'm like, this is nice, but like, there's more to this place. I need to discover more. So I had my friends, but I'd also try and meet other local people and hang out with them. And, and sometimes it doesn't do me favours because it's like this restlessness, which sometimes can be bad for you, but it definitely, definitely affects the way I travel, that sense of wanting to grow and get more out of it and wanting to know more and see more. Yeah, I have similar experiences to you, Tash, being Australian, born and raised, and I guess it's similar for lots of um, British, maybe Germans, Irish, Americans. We're all traveling types and when we go to other countries we always run into our own kind it's almost impossible to avoid us our our own nationality and as much as it sounds maybe kind of rude i often try to avoid australians when i'm in a foreign country because i could just hang out with them in australia it sounds strange to a lot of people and i don't mean to be rude necessarily but i want to go and meet other people that's why i'm traveling and it seems like you have a similar sentiment would that be right tash yeah it's not that i don't want to hang out it's just that i want to get as much out of it as possible and if i'm traveling i can't travel forever i have to come back to you know life and work i want to get as much out of it as possible and that therefore means because often you find those other people it's not like I would not want to be friends with an English person but you tend to like gravitate towards it because you are similar and it's easier so it's when it feels you're doing it just because it's easier that it just suddenly hits me over the head I'm like no no I'm not doing this to be easy I need to take that step and see what else is 
out there what else I can learn what other things to explore and sometimes that is scary and sometimes it ends up in a place and you're like why did I leave that place of safety but other times it's really rewarding for sure yeah it's easy to do it's easy to stay with people who speak the same language as you it's easy to stay with people who understand your culture because they've lived in the same culture as you as well and it is more difficult and more challenging and sometimes a stretch outside your comfort zone to go and seek out a local person who maybe speaks a different language or go and stay in a less touristy place where there aren't the facilities like there would be you know in big cosmopolitan cities in saying that let's let's talk tash about some of your off the beaten track style adventures now i know you've been to india you've been to places in south america with you when it comes to off the beaten track adventures i automatically think of more sort of Leveson Wood style stuff, more Bear grill style yeah. stuff. You're sort of out in the middle of nowhere. You're away from people who are familiar to you. Sometimes it's potentially more dangerous, definitely potentially more adrenaline fueled. Do you have any stories or experiences that kind of hit these descriptors from your adventures? Um, I think you've set the bar very high there in talking about Leveson and Bear Grylls, who are like my idols. Do I have anything where I've trekked across trace the Nile? <laughs> no. <laughs> but do I have experiences where it's been a bit crazy? I think that's an element of all my travel and I purposefully look for those things. So thinking about those ones specifically. So when I was in South America, Colombia had already started to become a bit more, not touristy. So this is about nine years ago. So it wasn't completely dodgy people were traveling there maybe not as a holiday destination of people traveling there mm. but there was a place that i read about on the last page of a guidebook that like no one went to so i immediately thought that's where i want to go <laughs> um so <laughs> i was like how do i get there and um i just kind of roped in someone who i was i'd met in a hostel i said explain to her how this would be the most advent amazing adventure she'd ever been on so i convinced her to go I met up with her randomly in this, I don't think, I think we had, why didn't we have phones? We didn't have mobile phones, why is that? It got stolen. Maybe they didn't work in <laughs> Colombia. And we had our laptops. 2011? Yeah, I had, my, I had a phone, I had a phone in real life, but anyway. Maybe there was no signal. Maybe there wasn't, yeah. So we had to get this bus to meet her and we'd only like agreed by email where to meet. So we met and we stayed in this hotel and we had to leave our stuff there. To go on this adventure, we didn't want to carry massive backpacks with us. We just wanted small ones. So we left them in this hotel. At that point, we were like, we're just leaving. Who are these people? We're just going to leave our rucksacks in with everything in our laptops, everything, um, small little laptops. And then, so, and I think my friend had like a big camera because she was trying to film something at the time. So anyway, I remember I was just like wrapping it all in all these cords and taking photos of it and saying to the guy, you know, we've taken photos of it. So, you know, make sure no one steals it. Don't steal anything. And I, I feel really bad for saying that. But I think we just suddenly got to the point where we're like, okay, if those both bags get nicked, we're screwed. But anyway, from then, to get to this place, we had to get a taxi to this random part of town. This was already this town that was, you know, no one went to that wasn't local. And we had to hitch a ride on the back of this, in this truck. 
So this truck arrived and it was absolutely full with people on the back. It was an open back truck. It was just full of people sitting in the back. So he pushed us in the front seat. I think there were five of us in the front seat, including the driver, really squashed. <laughs> and so off we set to this place. And it was like about a two hour drive. And every like 20 minutes or so, the truck would stop. And there'd be people on the side of the road with a cooler box um, selling beers. So every time he stopped at one of those, all the men would get out of the truck, have a beer, including the driver, and get back on. Bloody hell. And the women would be tutting. <laughs> but every time they got, every time they got, they like, my friend Caroline and I got off and we had a beer as well. So we thought this is all really fun and adventurous. And then suddenly just the road stopped and he just went left into this kind of like bushland. We were like, is this the way? And there was, by that point, there was only one person left apart from the, the driver on the truck. And they went, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, because he kept dropping people off on the way. And then this last person got off. And at that point, the driver just kept falling asleep because he was just so drunk. And so my friends and I were just like <laughs> clapping, just trying to wake him up and seeing. And finally, we just, at that point, I was like, okay, moment one, what's going to happen? I'm going to die in a car crash because this guy is literally just eyes closed driving through bushland. Mm. We finally arrived at this place called Cabo de Velo, which is this beautiful place. There was one woman's house we stayed at, we, we slept in hammocks on the beach, but that wasn't our final destination. We wanted to go to this place called the Guajira Peninsula, but to get there, you had to find someone who had a boat to give you a lift. Um, and there was no, you know, when you got there, you had to just ask someone whether you could stay at their house, basically, but I was desperate to go there. So we stayed in this woman's house for a while until she found us a boat to get on. So we turned up, we got to this place where the boat was. We got on the boat and halfway to the island, the boat broke down <laughs> and we were just sitting there again. And at another point, I just thought nobody knows in the whole world that I'm here because I didn't tell anyone where I was going. In Colombia, they always say you don't go to places where that aren't on the tourist trail. Um, I've made this girl come with me who didn't really want to go, but I've you know, told her how amazing it would be. And I just thought, uh oh, this is really stupid. Why have I done this again? Why have I done this? Just to just do something different. But luckily I felt really seasick. So that kind of took over the panic a bit, but, <laughs> <laughs> but finally we got moving and we got to this place and it was just unbelievable. It was just so deserted. Just the most deserted place. I felt like I was at the end of the world. There were about three huts, the people living on in this peninsula, they had one car which was had no windscreen, and every time it drove, it broke down like every minute. We had to get out while they like just dug it out again. We just stayed there for like five days, just hanging out in this like wilderness, and it was just so rewarding being there, just knowing you were at the edge of the earth, somewhere that no one else had been. But that's kind of a typical story of my travels, just going somewhere that no one else has been, regretting it halfway through, but then ultimately feeling rewarded. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you stay then on this peninsula? You said you had to ask some local if you could stay with them. So is that what you, what you did? Yeah, so when, on the boat, the people told us in Spanish about somewhere where you could stay. And this woman had, I think they, you know, the odd backpacker or traveller did go there. Hmm. So it was just a house and they had a couple of hammocks kind of, outside so you just slept in the hammocks and they cooked for us because there's nowhere else to eat there so they had to cook for you okay now this place on the peninsula was that what was mentioned in the guidebook or was it the one the place before that was mentioned in the guidebook that that said nobody goes there um no, it was the place on the peninsula the guajira peninsula that was mentioned 
And did it say why no one goes there? Is it because it's difficult to get there and you need to make an effort? Yeah, because it is difficult to get to there. I mean, it, you have to hitch a ride. You have to get to a, this town and then you have to get to another place and then you have to hitch a ride on a truck um, with some random person and you can't book anything advice you can't phone these places say if you've got room you can't phone and there's no guarantee that you'll get to the peninsula once you've done all of this if there's one small shop there's no cat there's no atm so if you run out of money <laughs> you have to go back two hours back to the um place where you came from there's literally nothing there so it puts a lot of people off yeah yeah because there's risk but there's also reward. So it's about weighing up, isn't it? Yeah. And you also would have to be able to speak Spanish. I mean, I'm not fluent, but the girl I was with was knew more than me. But otherwise, you'd be a bit stuck. It'd be even more difficult if you didn't have any Spanish skills. Right. Do you have any other stories? Any Anything in Bolivia or, or in India where you've had some interesting experiences seeking off the beaten track adventures? Yeah, in Bolivia, which is a very similar story, but... This was kind of earlier on in the same trip around South America. I'd been in the north of Argentina and I'd been to, a, I think, three places in Bolivia, like Lake Titicaca, Potosi, Sucre, mm. which had lots of travellers in them. And they were very, very different places to everywhere, anywhere I'd travelled before. So from that point of view, it was an amazing travelling experience. But it's still also in the salt flats. But it still got to the point... By the fourth destination, it was like, oh, hi, just new people, backpackers on the street and stuff like that, which should be a nice <laughs> thing for most people. But for me, I just thought, I'm just on a tour bus. I wasn't on a tour bus. I was getting making my own way there and stuff, but I'm just on a trail. I just thought, this is weird. This country's like big. I'm going to five places and I've seen the same people the whole way through. What they must, I want to see something else. And I was like, how can I do that? You know, because only those places are mentioned in the guidebooks, really. Bolivia, it wasn't, you know, like some countries in South America where, you know, they're so totally explored. This was just, you know, you went to these four places. Everyone said, don't bother with anywhere else. <laughs> but I don't even know. So I think someone told me, I was just talking to someone. And they said, well, you know, there is this place that I know someone who knows someone who went to this place. He's not in a guidebook or anything, but this guy has lets his, a room out in his house in this little village and he's got a very small wiki travel page hmm. and it has his phone number on it or something <laughs> and so i was like okay but he's, he's just said you have to phone him up and say are we coming and that's it and then you have to make your way there and i was like oh, how do you make your way there you have to go to this bus station get a bus to this place make sure you get off at the right place otherwise you're screwed and from there, again, you have to hitch a ride for three hours to this village. And then you have to find his place where he lives. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> so I phoned this guy up and he was just so, he just seemed so surprised to hear from me. I was like, oh, a visitor. He was like, oh, okay. Because um, he was actually American, but he'd been living in this village for like 30 years. He married a Bolivian woman. They got divorced, but he ended up staying there and he built this house. And he had two Bolivian, uh, two children who lived in Bolivia too. So I phoned him up and he said, okay, I'm going to be there for a day. But after that, I'm going into the city. I have to, because I have to collect some goods. So you'll be on your own. Are you okay with that? 
And he said, but my daughter, who's 16, has just been kicked out of her mum's house because she just got married, eloped, so they're staying there too. So my 16-year-old daughter and her new husband will be there as well. Are you okay with that? (laughs) Sure. I was like, how do I get there? So, yes, I did get on this bus. I ended up, and the place where it stopped, and I was like, are you sure this is the place? You know, and and they went, yeah, yeah. So I got off this bus and there was literally three houses and a small shop. I was like, How, what? This is where I'm meant to hitch a ride to this other village from, which is three hours away. So, so I asked people about it in my Spanish and people had no idea whatsoever what I was talking about. And I was like, this is all made up, isn't it? I've just been, what am I doing? And how am I going to get back? And am I just going to have to ask someone if I can sleep on their floor? Because this is literally just, it's like a truck stop in the middle of nowhere, three houses and a shop. But then randomly, there was an Argentinian guy who was motorbiking across South America and he was there. So I spoke to him a bit and, and we were figuring out how, what I would do and trying to ask people if I could stay on someone's floor until a bus came the other way in a couple of days time. <laughs> and then suddenly, so this is really random. There was a taxi there. A taxi just appeared. Wow. And so I just went up to the taxi and asked them whether they would take me to this village. And he said, okay, I'll have to charge you a very high price. And I was like, okay, I'll just, I have to. It's a $25, like a three hour taxi journey. Really high price. And I was like, it's fine. (laughs) For a Londoner. (laughs) That's absolutely fine. And so we got in there and then on this journey, because they'd been mudslides all in Bolivia, we had to keep getting out all the time and taking rocks out the road so we could get through. And it was just going around these really hairy bends with rocks in the middle. And we finally got to this village and he just got out and went to the pub there. And, um, and I was like, well, where's this, where am I, where's this place that I'm staying at? He goes, I don't know, you're on your own now. I was like, okay. I'd absolutely, there's no, I'd, no, there's no map to this place. I had its name. I was asking people where it was and no one knew what I was talking about. Finally, someone told me it was up a hill. It was sort of pouring with rain. I was having to walk up this hill with my rucksack, another bag, like a really steep hill that the mud was sliding down it. It was pouring with rain. And again, it was that moment. Why? Why am I doing this? This is miserable. I'm just on my own sliding down a hill with mud and the pouring rain with a massive rucksack on my back, going somewhere I don't even know where I'm going. (laughs) For what reason? And I got to the top of the hill and I still couldn't find it. So I went into a shop and finally this woman went, oh, the gringo, CZ. And she told me how to get there. (laughs) (laughs) And I I just turned up at this house and I saw the name of it, which is like, I can't remember what hummingbird is in Spanish, but it was a house of the hummingbirds. Mm -hmm. And it had this beautiful garden and it had this swing at the top. And as soon as I got to it, I just sat on the swing and just collapsed because I was just so relieved to be there and then this guy you did it yeah i was just relieved to be at the place i thought where was you know for the last six hours i've been wondering where i was gonna be sleeping on my own as a female on you know doing something random and this guy came out with a really long beard and not many teeth and he was just like sasha you're here and i was like i didn't correct him on my name i was just happy and he said come in we've got dinner and food and i mean dinner and have some coffee and I basically just stayed there for five days and I was just like a kind of a bit of celebrity in the village because everyone was like, who is, you know, why are you here? And no one, not one person spoke English. So I brushed up my Spanish skills a bit, but I'd go every day to this cafe 
have a cup of Tinto. No one, I would just go every day to the little village market and buy a few vegetables for my dinner and people would kind of, actually, people weren't, I said before, I thought they, I felt like a bit of a celebrity, but I didn't, people weren't really that fussed about me. But even though there were no other people, they were just living their own lives. But it was a very local Bolivian village that like everyone wore traditional costume, all the women wore bowler hats and big skirts and it was very isolated. So this market once a week was really important where all the farmers from far and wide would come along and sell their fruit and veg and then meat, but literally each farm would have like maybe like five tomatoes and a couple of cabbages and stuff like that. So it was like crazy. But one evening they had this um, local festival. There was just lots of singing and dancing in the streets. And I remember just sitting, I bought, I bought a couple of beers and I just sat on this bench watching it next to a, um, a lady. I don't know how old she was, maybe about 50, 60 in her, you know, bowl of indigenous outfit. And she had a massive bag of coca leaves. So she was just sitting there watching the dancing, chewing on her coca leaves. And I was drinking beer. So I just swapped her a beer and she gave me some coca leaves. We just sat there with each other <laughs> chatting and watching this fest, local festival and just chatting about it. And, and, I, and that was, that's just one of my favorite moments ever traveling. Cause I'm like, this is, this, I, this is, I'm really meeting. I'm just sitting with someone who lives in this village in the middle of nowhere, sharing a cocoa. This is how she lives her life. Being able to connect with her and speak with her a bit in Spanish. It just felt amazing and worth it. And then also I used to go to this cafe every morning. They used to always have on TV this, they were, everyone there was obsessed with this, these DVDs and they were kind of a Bolivian singing group. But they were, I've got to be honest, they were terrible. But that was the pop music, <laughs> popular pop music. And it was just, you just sit there and by the end of the five days, I was like really into it. <laughs> it, just, it was just playing all the time everywhere. And it was just a really nice break to be off the beaten track and somewhere different and not, it's obviously fun being on that tourist thing, but you don't really, if you're not part of it, when you're following everyone and seeing all these people, you feel lonely. And if you are being part of them, you're having make friends with people maybe you don't want to or talk to people you don't want to, whereas this was like a proper, you know, break from it. It seems like you were getting an authentic Bolivian small village experience. Yeah. So that was your reward for making that effort yeah. and getting lost and getting freaked out a bit. And then you made, you made yeah. it. And even just meeting the guy who ran the place, I mean, hearing his story, it's amazing in itself. But then the more special parts of it are meeting the local people. Like I, one of my favorite parts of traveling India and South America are the journeys, are the coach journey, the really excessively long bus trips or train trips, because that's where you, you just talk to all sorts of people and hear their stories and what their lives are about. And I'm really interested in that. Yeah, yeah. I imagine you were the only, air quotes, gringo in the Bolivian village yeah. at that time. Apart from the American guy, but he was only there for one day. And his daughter was half Bolivian, half American. Yeah, she only spoke Spanish. She, she, she was born and raised, right. So what was it like being an obvious foreigner? Was it scary or did you find the local people extremely welcoming and perhaps unexpectedly so? I think in that place, they were weirdly just not that fast. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought there'd be more fuss. I've been on other trips and I've been the only 
foreigner there and um, non-local there, and they've been more excited. I felt that quite a lot in Bolivia. I think people were just, I found something sad about Bolivia. I mean, the people were really well, nice. And when you got to know that, that woman I sat next to, but they weren't overly trying to please people from outside the country. And I think it's because they've experienced lots of people screwing them over who aren't from Bolivia. Mm. So I just think they probably are a little bit like in India, people are wanting to just calling you Princess Diana and wanting to touch your face and have photos with you for their family album. They've never <laughs> met you. In Bolivia, they were like... Seems like it's a refreshing level of nonchalance. Yeah, but it was nice. It makes it still... Yeah, it was quite peaceful. I mean, they weren't unfriendly. They just wouldn't make a fuss out about it. Mm. You mentioned earlier as well that when you were traveling through South America, you could go through different countries and different cities within these countries and keep bumping into the same people you knew in the middle of the street. Now, whether it's politically correct or not, there's a word called the gringo trail, which describes Western travelers who travel through these regions of South America. You obviously have been on that trail, but you've made it your ambition to get off that trail as much as you can to seek these off the beaten track adventures. But in your opinion, what do you think are the positives and the negatives of such a trail? Well, I'll say it for me personally, it's that because it exists, it, and this sounds probably a bit unadventurous, it means that I can go off and do these other things. And, you know, someone told me about that village who I met on the Gringo Trail, I guess. I can't even remember who they were. Mm. But, um, so someone told me about that. And also I went to Iquitos in um, Peru. And, so to, and you meet people who can tell you about their experiences and you can meet people that way. Yeah, so that's it really. It just provides that sense of security. It's a security blanket in a way in some countries that might be harder to navigate. And then for other people, I guess it's a way to, I mean, it's still brilliant going traveling if you're on the Gringo Trail or not. I mean, Mm -hmm. open your mind to some of the things you'd see and go through Bolivia and see the natural wonders, but also like the hardship of it. I mean, hopefully that will have an impact on everyone in positive impact on anyone in some way, even if it's still going to backpacker hostels, it's still different than spending a load of money and going on a two week all inclusive resort. Not there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying it was a different experience. So, totally. but the negatives of it, I think as well is I think it does probably, I don't know what the impact is on, the places i just keep so i just keep thinking about this mine called potosi in bolivia which is where there's a silver mine mm. and it's really dangerous and you can go in the silver mine and you know, have a you know, as a tour around. yeah huh. which i did but i do did afterwards feel uncomfortable about it. what am i doing am i it's, just, it's like danger tourism but people are risking their lives in that every day but they do in the hostel they showed you a video a film about this little kid and his family and so you do learn a lot about it and a lot of what happens there and what's happening happened to Bolivia and how it's been take, taken advantage of generally by other countries so in that way it opens your mind about stuff and then the other part of me is like is that a good thing that we're all there going down this mine but they're making money out of it when they're not making money and so that's a good thing because they don't have any so I don't know there's some always some sketch i think you just have to think about it and be aware and then make a decision based on that i think sometimes sometimes there isn't a right or wrong answer for sure 
Tash, when it comes to planning off the beaten track adventures, I'm just curious about that word plan, because is it actually possible to plan an adventure or is it just something that happens spontaneously and organically and you just have to say yes and go for it? Uh, I think you, you probably have to plan to be spontaneous. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> I don't know. Well... I've always loved the idea of being able to go somewhere and not have any plans whatsoever. Times when I've done that, when it's been a short trip, I've realised I've ended up just, like when I went to Amsterdam for the first time, I was just, didn't get anywhere near as much out of it as I wanted to because I didn't know where to go. And you've got to sometimes look and find where the different places are or where to start. So maybe that's not about being spontaneous, actually, to, to be able to find something different and authentic, you need to ask a lot of questions and find that and search. And mm. and that involves planning. Yeah. Being organized and making yeah. some effort into perhaps planning. So otherwise, yeah. so I did a, an amazing trip from Nashville um, down to New Orleans and then to... Lafayette in Louisiana, which is kind of, you know, standard trip, but we still managed to make that kind of off the beaten track. Like we went to this place called Clarksville, which is the home of the blues. And we found this little bar called Red's Bar, which was had this amazing blues. And then we made friends with a local artist and they invited us to their party and went there. So it's about finding places that are a bit up with them when you're there, making sure you speak to lots of different people and being open and in, Nashville someone told me about this bar in New Orleans with amazing the best jazz ever well no it was actually a, more of a, a brass band mm -hmm. he was just saying how great they were and they played at this bar and I'd absolutely love it but it's not in the French district it's outside and everyone goes to the French district in New Orleans and I was like well that's that's not a place I want to go there so I had to convince my friend to go to this place which no one else went to and it was just like a it's like, it looked like a house from the outside. And she's like, why are we going here? Everyone else is over there. And I was like, well, <laughs> this guy told me about it. I trust him. And we went in and it just incredible music. And instantly we were dancing. There were, you know, the people there from, there was a Native American Indian chief who was the head of the Native American Indian Mardi Gras parade and there were all these different people who were like a singer so all the musicians in the area went here to find the best music hmm. so it's again it's like planning to go to new orleans and planning enough time to be able to so kind of it's almost like planning out your day so there's enough time to be for random stuff to happen or allowing that to happen not being worried if it hasn't happened yet but it's kind of planning <laughs> time for spontaneity <laughs> tash what would you say has been your most authentic experience when traveling okay i'm just going to take that word at face value just in terms of what is because you know there's a debate about what an authentic travel experience is <laughs> so i'm going to take that in the in the terms of an experience that you see, there's a, there is a difficulty with that word because I went to Venice with my mum and it was all as it was, like amazing art galleries, you know, the canals, obviously, the architecture, everything about it, which is just what Venice is. Mm. And yes, it was busy and yes, it was touristy, but that is Venice, so that's authentic to sure. me. 
So that's your answer. No, that isn't my answer. <laughs> There's, I can't. I can't pick an answer because all of them have been authentic. But one I did a couple of years ago, which is related to that screenplay that I was writing. You know about my um, grandma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I. Um, it started off. The screenplay started in the village where my grandma was born, which was it was Poland, but it's now Belarus. And I just wanted to find this village. And I wanted to find it for years. My dad kept saying, you never find it. No one knows it. There's nothing there anymore. What's the point? And I was like, yeah, but I still want it. It's not about, I'm not going there to like, you know, see something amazing. I just want to feel it and see it. Yeah. But it's quite, turned out, my trip started off as I'm going to go to Belarus and I'm going to travel across Belarus and go to Moscow and then up to St. Petersburg. It turns out that is not possible because for visas you can't go directly from belarus to russia and all these other things so that just put paid to that and i was like well it doesn't sound as exciting anymore and i'm not doing these other things but i still want to go to <laughs> belarus but i had to apply for a visa there you had to go, there was only one entry you could go through from poland so you had to go to warsaw get to Białystok, get the bus down to this place where you could get through to Belarus you had to have a visa which you had to apply for and to apply for the visa you had to have a tour guide when you got there hmm. there's no like easy sites online you can find tour guides in Belarus so I just found someone on Facebook again I had no idea who this person is so it was a big risk in a way <laughs> and I was like will you be my tour guide I want to find this village that my grandma was born in it's in this area will you help drive me there and can you sign these papers for me but immediately she started saying, oh, I know that place and I've heard of it and I can take you. And she just was really warm and helpful straight away. And I was like, I had a good feeling about her. But basically I went through the border control and they were very suspicious because I think I had things like Mexico and stuff like that in my, and Honduras in my passport at that point. I think they just thought, and they were like, why are you on your own going to Belarus? Who are you? But then I went there and I just said, the next day this girl picked me up with her boyfriend and we drove up to this village in north northern belarus on the west of it and we just started up we, we had no no idea where we we're going we found this kind of we asked people where this village was we found it and then we were trying to find the specific house that my grand lived in so we were just asking people if they knew this family hmm. from you know 70 years ago and you know and the, and there was, and my grandma kept telling me there was an orchard in the garden <laughs> outside. So I was trying to find a place with an orchard and this woman was translating for me. And it was basically just all, a lot of old women who lived in this, in this area. There wasn't very much else. Everyone was kind of like these old bachi, which is called a grandma in Polish. They were all like wearing their like scars around their necks. And they were really excited to see me. They're like, she's from England. She's from England. She's come all the way to visit us from England. And they were so excited. Everyone was coming out of their houses to help me. And they were saying, oh, I know someone who's Polish, go to this part of town. So we drive to this other part and they're all having, fo- having photos with them. And then I found this woman eventually who was actually married into my family. She married my great grandma's brother huh. and she spoke Polish and I was speaking to her in Polish and she was like, I don't understand what's happening here. She was like, you're from England and this. And I put her on the phone to my grandma Yeah, and they were both in tears they can believe it. And this woman was saying to my grandma, saying, I can't believe what happened to you. You got 
taken away by the Russians because I told you that story my grand like in the middle of the night they got put on these trains to yeah. those work camps in Russia so that was it and then I went to this train station and my grandma was put on a train to go there wow. and then I went to the little town that was there where she went to school and I found the school that she went to yeah there wasn't would I recommend that as a tourist place but <laughs> The question was, was, what's the most authentic experience? But I guess that was authentic because it was my ancestry and my story. It was Tash Samex, who do you think you yeah, are? Yeah, it was. And it was just part of that screenplay. It was all about finding out yeah, yeah. my history and where it came from. And yeah, I was definitely my grandma's favorite after that, by the way. <laughs> I, think, I, I think there's a lot of people all around the world who like to travel, especially if they're, you know, they're, they're living in a country that they're not necessarily native to a few generations back, perhaps. But even for me, I've come to England and I've discovered where, where my grandmother was born and the town she lived in and where my, my extended family, you know, generations past have come from. And I know there's lots of Americans who come over to Europe to find their roots and you've done the same moving further east from where your family lives now. So yeah, I think it's it's beautiful. And it seemed like your exercise in doing that was quite the adventurous one. And yet you succeeded because you were willing to go off the beat and make the effort and get it done. Yeah. What would you say is your philosophy on risk versus reward when it comes to these off-the-beaten-track adventures? Ooh. Depends what the risk is, whether it's a, what are you risking. If you're just risking some discomfort, then go for it. If you think there's some issues with security, then just be aware of them and prepare. There are some things that I would still find too risky to do, and I wouldn't be stupid because I think if it's too risky you just are so tense you can't enjoy it or enjoy that local experience so it's about what part of it is risky and why and just thinking about that if it's just about your discomfort and what's going to feel scary because it's something you haven't done before or no one's going to be there that you know just do it (laughs) 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 example of that was in India. But again, I was with, I'm glad I traveled around India with a friend because I don't think I would have done as many risky, potentially risky things if she hadn't been there. So sometimes I think mm-hmm. you need to think about who you're with and what you're doing it for. But I remember that we made friends with our rickshaw driver. He'd have said, Why don't you come with me to visit my family in this? village called Sheikawati, um, little town like three hours north of Jaipur. And would I have gone in with a random guy's car on my own? He, I probably would have been fine knowing, knowing him in hindsight, but at the time that would have been a really silly thing to do. Um, so, but I went with my friend and, you know, the, the most risky part of it was the drive because everyone's horrendous at driving. And, um, <laughs> but like being there, and that was probably one of the most rewarding things of my whole life in terms of traveling, meeting his family, meeting these, and they, you know, they were very poor mm. and they lived in a, this kind of lots of little huts, kind of like stone huts. And they had like a central area where the women cooked and everyone just had like very small families lived in very small huts and they basically had a bed 
and a TV, always playing um, Bollywood dance songs and all the kids were dancing. And they were just so excited to see us and they just cooked us. That was the whole thing about India, everyone was so generous on the trains, just cooked us that food. And, and they took us to the roofs and the kids were playing kites made out of old plastic bags on the roofs. And we just we were flying kites with them. Well, we looked out, you could see all the roofs and all these kids flying kites at sunset. And because it was a Muslim area, it was a prayer time as well. So it was a sense of like, you know, um, rhythm of the prayer, the sunset, the haziness, and these children like on all the rooftops playing these, flying these kites out of plastic. And we were there and they were so happy and joyful. And I was, it was just, you know, it was just amazing just because of how joyful and happy everyone was and just being able to be part of that rather than just like intense Jaipur, intense cities. It was just, yeah. Yeah. Well, that seems like it's the top of the hour. So my favorite four. Right. So I got four questions here. Tash, what is your favorite piece of clothing? Trainers. What is your favorite foreign word? Oh, that's too hard to think of on the top of my head. I don't know. I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't even think of that off the top of my head. Favorite time of day? Favorite time of day is um, sunset because I always feel that excitement about just the passing of one moment into another and what's going to happen, the anticipation of it. Into the evening? Yeah. What is your favorite book? Oh, goodness me, that's a hard question. I've asked you a lot of hard questions tonight. Yeah. Oh, goodness me. I just feel like I'm going to say the wrong answer and then afterwards be like, why did I say that? Well, I can put it in the show notes that you changed your answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One that I um, loved because someone gave it to me when I was traveling um, in Bolivia and I actually read it when I was in that village for something like five days was that Rudyard Kipling Kipling book. Um, hold on one second. I was about to call it. Might about to call it the wrong thing. So I just need to check. Google search. Yeah. <laughs> it is called Kim. Ah yes. Yeah. Just I just felt it like was reflected. I like the fact that someone gave it to me. It reflected travelling. It was a philosophy to it about the way the boy was and what he experienced and mm-hmm. it just made me think that I want to read it again because I haven't read it for 10 years. Rudyard Kipling Kim. No momentum on your favourite word, favorite foreign word? Uh, well, we'll have to just leave it at that then, Tash. Oh, that's me. We'll be here all night otherwise. My favourite four. Tash, would you recommend Off the Beaten Track Adventures and why? I would 100 percent recommend them because they teach you so much about the world they make you realize what is out there they take you out of your head out of your mindset out of your world and just open your mind and i think that is a amazing thing not just for yourself but for everyone (laughs) finally what do you think of the movie the beach I think I've only seen half of it. So obviously I don't think that much of it. <laughs> I think I just found it a bit annoying. Well, Tash, we've reached the end of the podcast. So I'd just like to say a big thank you. Really enjoyed chatting with you. 
your stories were great and I really enjoyed listening to your perspectives and hearing of your adventures. So thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me and allowing me the chance to go on about them for so long. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> and, I, and I'm just gutted that I couldn't think of a, a word for that question. So I feel like I'm leaving as a slight failure. Send me an email and I'll add it. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll get the Spanish dictionary out. <laughs> thanks for listening to The Nostalgic Vagabond. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation. And if you would like to listen to other interesting talks on travel, there are more podcasts available. Check them out wherever you get your podcasts. And for updates, just follow me at The Nostalgic V. Don't forget, your journey is special. Own it. I've been Alan Hill. Until next time. Hey guys, if you enjoy listening to The Nostalgic Vagabond, why not support the podcast? If you haven't already, subscribe and you'll be notified when new apps drop. You can also support the podcast by leaving a rating or a review on your podcast app. Why not share this episode? Tell your friends about it if something resonated with you. Word of mouth is great promotion. If you're into social media, maybe post a screenshot of the episode or upload the link on your profile so your mates can see what interesting content you've been into lately. All your support comes straight back and helps to keep the travel content and nostalgia of this podcast going. Cheers. So don't forget to subscribe.